Well, hello there. It's another day. I'm Jim Harrington. And I am Bill Knight. Happy uh, Good Friday to you, sir. Good Friday is a solemn day for a lot mm-hmm. of people. It's the day that uh, Christ uh, died. He was crucified on Good Friday. And uh, so everybody kind of, uh, if you see them a little quieter today, uh, some people uh, fast between meals on Good Friday. Uh, it's 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 a it's a big day in Christendom, and um, yeah. have you got plans for Sunday, Bill? Well, Sunday I'm going to. I was going to go out of town, but uh, you, you know the reason I'm not. And then I have my son here, and I've always made sure that you know, whether the family was big or it's just down to just like two of us in the house now, that when all the holidays come around, whether it's Christmas, Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. Easter, whatever it is, that you know you do the traditional holiday meal. So right, right. Uh, I'm doing that. I chose not to opt, you know, I opted not to go out of town and just stay here to make sure that he got that. And then I think him and his friends are, they're going to Florida for some big MMA thing. And I thought, Oh, okay, cool. But it's just, you know, that's kind of uh, nice. Always, yeah. I've always felt that was important. May not be the best dad in the world, but I, I still try to, you know, do the right things. You try. Best, you try. As, That's all you can do as, as as a dad or any any or mom or is try to be the best that you can be. You know. That's all. Yeah. You can do. There's a lot of us single parents. I am. I'm. I'm going to be with uh, my wife and one of my daughters, and uh, and my other daughter will be with her family uh, back in New England, and uh, but she'll be with us in in spirit and in our heart because. It's Easter, and uh, mm-hmm. um, I wish I was with all of my family, but that's not how we live in a different society than our parents did. Our parents, they kind of grew up in one geographic area for the most part. I mean, my dad uh, grew up in a town. He went to college about 15 miles away, and then the, the furthest he went in his whole life was to Europe in World War II, and that, mm-hmm. wasn't, a, that wasn't a pleasant experience. And uh, then he came back, and he stayed in that same basic geographic area for the rest of his life. But you know, in what we do, and what we've done in in our careers, uh, we travel. I mean, you travel down south, and you were up in Iowa, and uh, in your broadcasting career, I was in New York, and I was in Pittsburgh, and upstate New York for a while, uh, in the Hartford area. Boston, I couldn't keep a job. <laughs> well, you know, actually, you could. I, I'm, I'm probably the guy that, uh, you know, there, there's two kinds of radio guys, and um, I, I just never knew when my welcome was worn out. They tell me it was, <laughs> and uh, because the old rule in radio is, and yes. people go, oh, that's disgusting. Is as soon as you get a new job, yes, you start looking for your next job. That's true. And when you unpack your bag, start repacking. <laughs> mm-hmm. I knew uh, a guy that he goes, uh, you know, he was new, and I went over to welcome him. And I said, "Where's all your stuff?" He goes, "Hanging in the closet." He goes, uh, "The furniture here, I rent." I go, "Why?" He really? goes, "Is everything that's in my closet I can scoop up?" Wow. You know, lay it down in the trunk, and I'm ready to go. What I'm going, a, well, you're, your last job, you were there for five years. And he's going, yeah, and it wasn't hard to pack it all. And just <laughs> got it and ran. What a, nomad, and, uh, a nomadic life, huh? What a nomadic yeah, like life. Going, and, and, you know, so you know, broadcasters, uh, and, and that role has changed too, but broadcasters had, you know, you thought, wow, they got the life, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There were many a times I sat there in a Denny's, 
eating Thanksgiving dinner by myself. Ooh. You know. <laughs> yes, there's a movie there, but hey, listen. Well, we'll, we'll, you do what you got to do, you know? Yep. Um, there's a lot of things happening in our world, and I even think that today, being Good Friday, you know, we think it's kind of like a semi-holiday. No, there's stuff still going on. I wouldn't be surprised if we had more news coming down the pike. Yesterday, John Kirby, who uh, is the spokesman, I guess, for the Defense Department, yeah, he was out there defending uh, the, the. There was a report that was issued about the uh, Afghan war withdrawal, the closing of the Afghan war, and he, Kirby had the cojones. I'll say it in Spanish so that it's a gentler way of saying it, of going out there and trying to sell the uh, withdrawal as being a, a, a success. And all of us were around looking at it at the time. It's not like we're just hearing about this for the for the first time. We remember we seeing, saw it happen. Yeah, we saw. Remember the remember the, the runway with the uh, the refugees hanging on a C five A trying to uh, escape, and they were falling off the airplane as it was taking off. It was a disaster. Thirteen U.S. Uh, uh, service people were killed in an explosion that didn't have to happen. Uh, the, kids whole thing. Are, the kids killed, the people left behind there being killed and hunted down. And the the administration has, has come out and, and the media is there to back it up. Well, this was really all Donald Trump's fault, you know. Um, yeah, I'm sure well, it was. He uh, was talking to Peter Ducey, and Peter Ducey was having none of it. Listen how this went to order troops out of Afghanistan. It is with the way that this president ordered it done. If there were children being killed, there were people hanging off of Air Force jets that were leaving, and you're saying that you guys are proud of the way that this mission was conducted? Does proud it mean of that? Proud of the fact that we got more than 124,000 people safely out of Afghanistan? You bet. Proud of the fact that American troops were able to seize control of a defunct airport and get it operational in 48 hours? You bet. Proud of the fact that we now have about 100,000 Afghans, our former allies and partners, living in this country and working towards citizenship? You bet. But does that mean that everything went perfect in that evacuation? Of course not. I've talked about it from a different podium. The after-action reviews are now being reviewed by members of Congress, which will lay out things that could have gone better. Nobody's saying that everything was perfect. But there was a lot that went right. And a lot of Afghans are now living better lives in this country and other countries around the world because of the sacrifices and the work of so many American government officials. So, yeah, there's a lot to be proud of, Peter. Oh, my gosh. This guy has got had, has got uh, uh, he's got balls. I'm just going to say it. I'm just going to say it. <laughs> you said it. OK. Uh, I'm sorry. This is a podcast. I, I, I truly don't mean to offend anybody, but for him to, to get up there and to vehemently and sternly uh, lecture Peter Ducey on the success of the withdrawal of the Afghan, uh, tr- the troops from Afghanistan, it's sickening. It's sickening. And that's the entire Biden administration summed up in this guy Kirby's reaction. I mean, yeah, they're claiming it's all Trump's fault. We saw it unfold right before our very eyes. So you can't deny what really happened there. There was something he said, and I'm trying to 
you know, but I was laughing about about the said, airport being uh, renovated and get. They, he said we got a. I probably got an airport that was defunct back in service within uh, forty eight hours. I'm thinking to myself. No, actually, he said something else. That goes right back to Joe Biden. He's going, and we've got over 100,000 Afghanistans that are now living here working on becoming citizens. <laughs> so, in other words, the old way that we used to do things, yes. you had to learn everything. Right. Well, what the hell did they do it that way for? They could have just gone down to down to <laughs> Texas, just walk across the border, bam, well, a lot instant of, citizenship. Bill, a lot don't of, have to do a damn thing. A lot of them have. There are people from Afghanistan <laughs> who... Who have come across that border? Lion sack of what uh, you know, whatever yep. you want to put in that sack. No, he he is. Uh, uh, he doesn't talk about the thousands of Americans that we abandoned okay. in Afghanistan. Uh, you now, know, what was what was Mister Kirby before he ever got? He into, was an admiral. He was all oh, oh, so yes. he's part of the military. So yeah, you're telling me we got woke sobs running our military? Yes. But so if we ever if we ever hit a point of succession in our country, we got these clowns that we got to weed out before everything can. Oh boy, Bill, there are two kinds of of officers in the Navy and the Army and the Marines and the Air Force. Two, really, there are the true military leaders, the warriors, the soldiers. That's one kind, and then there's the diplomat. They have them in the military too. They have them at some point in their development as as military men. They reach a level where they have a. It's not an obvious choice. They don't stick a badge on them and say, "Okay, you're a political officer now." They just kind of funnel you in a certain direction. Do you know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. that's what Kirby Kirby at some point in his military career, uh, probably when he was a captain in the uh, in the navy. Yeah, uh, somebody said uh, we're going to send you to. You can either go out on a ship, or we can send you to the Pentagon or something. And he he took the Pentagon, and, and that's what we have here. We have a diplomat. We have a politician who used to wear a military uniform. He gets up there in front of the world, and he he vehemently shoves this crap down our throats, as if we didn't see it and didn't live through it. You know, I mean. Uh, Ducey is looking at him, by the way. If you see the video, folks, Ducey is looking at him in disbelief. Like, I can't believe you're saying this with such uh, intensity, you know? Like, like you really mean this? Yeah. Uh, you know, and he talks about the airport that they renovated in 48 hours. Uh, he doesn't talk about uh, the fact that we gave up a multi-billion dollar Bagram air base, which, we, which Trump said even if we moved out, he would have kept the Bagram Air Base because it was only like a, a, two hours away from China's border. or It was so close to China, and it was right near where they have their missiles. And it was a perfect strategic launching pad for our troops in case there was a problem. But nah, th- these idiots in Washington, they, they couldn't get out of Afghanistan fast enough. It was, it was like watching the Keystone cops uh, leave. It was embarrassing. I'm sorry, but you have something that you wanted to add? I can see. Are, are you? Well, uh, no, I was going to. Uh, well, you know what? It's kind of It's a little bit sensitive in the fact that uh, I don't want anybody to get the wrong idea. I think that the men that serve and the women that serve in the military are great people. Yeah. And But there is a thing that goes on. You know, you wonder about the troops and will they stand for America or will they stand with 
these, well, with the Kirby's, you know, that, that, yeah. that are out there. And one of the things that they do, they, they go all the way back to kids and, you know, maybe from sixth grade on up, they start looking at kids in school. Show me the kids that aren't doing so well. And they talk to the parents and they say, you know, your kid might not be the brightest kid, but man, he's officer material. And they pump up the parents that, you know, they get them governed or get them ready for military so they can wean and control them. They do psychological profiles. They, they're looking for a certain type of individual that they can mold, lead, and program. You know, they're, they're a little universal soldier that will do what they're told to do, not question anything, and move forward. And, but they're, they're good people at heart, and they're doing things that they believe is for the right cause, no matter what it is they're told to do. Does that make sense, what I'm trying to say? And I'm not trying to hurt anybody, because there are a lot of good people that aren't those little universal soldiers. Yeah. But there are a lot that are, and, you know, and these guys come out because their moral compass, uh, you know, has been messed with. And these are the guys that, you know, a lot of them came out with post, you know, uh, whatever. Post-traumatic stress, yeah, PTSD disorder. Yeah, PTSD. They've come out with all kinds of maladies. And look at the soldiers, too, that were, they went and jumped in harm's way where chemical bombs were going off. And don't worry about it. You know, you're, we gave you a bank of 130 shots, protection against everything. Yeah. Well, I, and they get in their 40s and 50s, and why'd my arm fall off, you know? I had a friend of mine who uh, was a warrant officer in Vietnam who flew helicopters, and he used to fly through this orange dust that was being dumped by, you know, aircraft in front of his helicopter. And Agent Orange. He ended up getting, he was one of the first reported national cases of of uh, cancer that was caused by Agent Orange. Uh, there's a lot of things that they uh, they do to you. When you become a soldier, I don't know whether you're aware of this, but you become a, the property, the property of the U.S. military. When you raise your right hand, you are no longer an individual. You are part of a unit. You are part of the group. And you don't have the freedom to make a lot of choices anymore because they're being made for you. For example, I mean... They'll they'll say to you, all right, get your gear. We're leaving. We're heading out in the morning. You don't even have to know mm -hmm. where you're going. They're just leaving. You make sure you're packed and on that plane. That's how they do it. Um, you are you are property. Now, I, I have always had the opinion that uh, the citizen soldier is the true soldier in our country. You say one. I mean, there are some greats. Don't get me wrong. That that that's too. That's too uh, cut and dry the to say that. The guy that joins because there's a conflict going on that's and he right. wants to serve. That's exactly right. Th those people are special. Those people are special. Now, I don't mean that the career soldier isn't special, too. The, uh, many career soldiers are wonderful, wonderful guys who should be applauded. But for the most part, the guy who leaves his job, you mm -hmm. know, and, and picks up a rifle— and and goes out to fight that's a special breed and during military conflicts in our history it has been uh the norm i mean during world war one right we had the smallest military i think we ever had i think we had like a hundred thousand it was a ridiculously small number right. of, of people and they 
they had a call up. You know, they, and you know, this is before they had radio and TV and stuff. They had posters, you know, Uncle Sam wants you. And you'd see Uncle Sam and he'd be pointing at, you know, at whoever's looking at the poster. And people dropped their careers, their jobs, and they headed off and raised their right hand and off they went. And they, we built a massive army in no time. Mm-hmm. They had so many people enlist. And this happened, by the way, in World War II also. We, we didn't learn, but, you know, we didn't have enough guns to train our, our soldiers. So they oh, yeah, had, they used they wooden had, wood stock. Yeah, wooden stock. They, had, they they would cut a fake toy gun almost, you know, and that was what they trained with. And uh, yeah, they, they got planks of wood, cut them out into looking like a rifle. Yep. Is this what I have, sir? Uh, it is right now. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. But this is how we have historically uh, defended ourselves. And, and it, you know, uh, we did it in World War One. We did it in World War Two. We did it in the Vietnam War. Now, Vietnam was a little different because it really wasn't a declared war. It was a police action. And, you know, guys did raise their hand, but the the draft was a big deal. And that's when media started to raise uh, its ugly head and, and to interfere. Uh, the media mm-hmm. started to, uh, you know, talk about uh, well, it was important to have peace and why are we in Vietnam? And... We had the protests, and we had people saying they wouldn't go. The guys go to Canada and to escape the draft. Um, You know, it was a a tumultuous time, Uh, but a lot of great guys served in Vietnam. A lot of great guys. I I was in the service in that era. I didn't go to Vietnam, but I had a lot of friends who went to Vietnam, and um, well, I could go on and on, but the point is, uh, we're in a different situation right now, Bill. Uh, I don't yeah. see us. Uh, we don't have the citizen soldier out there in our military. We have uh, guys who got in got in it for a job, and well, there are those guys. But there's something important to point out here. You go back to World War One, where Uncle Sam wants you. There was enough good in America that, despite all of her indiscretions and everything that she was doing wrong and continues to do wrong. Now she does more things wrong. You still sat there, and it was very easy to weigh out uh, the good and separate it from the bad and say, I got to defend this. World War II came along. That's right. I got to defend this. Very You know, and some of the other conflicts, well, it's a tough one, but I still got to defend this. I'm better here than there was there. Now, enter modern day. Oh, I got a comment to say about, yes, go ahead. Enter modern day. Are you better off or do you have to go, hmm? Well, wait a second. Uncle Sam wants me. Here's what I'm afraid of. That same attitude you were talking about, about the guys who would put down their, put down their, uh, their uh, tractor, get off their tractor, put down their hose or whatever they were doing. Right. Now, and now they, the question is, will those guys put down their stuff and go after the, 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 the government that that's my point. My yes. point is there, you know, you know, when you weigh the apples and oranges, you just got a basket of rotted fruit. Yes. You know, you've got nothing. You want me to fight for this? Uh, we're giving everything away, uh, and I'm trying to feed my family. I'm trying to stay healthy. I'm trying to do this yes. and that, 
in this administration, this government, this you know cabal is taking group of bad actors, and squeezing us out, yes. squeezing us dry, and they come shoving, they came knocking at the door, shoving fentanyl into our. Yeah. Into, into our society, uh, allowing illegal aliens to cross the border and take their jobs in some cases. Now, the media would give a hard sell of why Uncle Sam needs you. you got to defend your country. Well, let me see you get your ass out of that broadcast chair, and you go do it first, and you show me in a not-so-glitzy way of why it's a good idea. Oh, wait, you do make a big salary, and... You know, you are the government mouthpiece, but you know what? I don't know that everybody is going to jump to that call because the lady has slipped, and she ain't no lady. And God help us if those if those same people who back in World War One and Two dropped their weapons, uh, their you know plow plows, and their get off their tractors or whatever they were doing, left the factories and went off to war to defend the country, if these same people, and we still have them in our country, we still have the citizen patriot in our country. They exist to this day. They may not be living in New York or Chicago or Los Angeles, because you know, you may turn the news on like you may, did, um, you may have the last week or so and seeing these wackos in New York uh, who are uh, protesting uh, one of the finest leaders we ever had. Uh, mm -hmm. But out in the hinterlands, out where we live in middle America, there are tens of millions of patriotic Americans who see what's really going on and have just about had enough. Now, if you don't believe this, I mean, you have to go out and kind of live it. They're out here. They're here. And, and you have to wonder, are we near a breaking point? Are we at a point in our... In our history, when people say enough is enough, Washington, you know, you took good people in, on January 6th who were protesting. It was supposed to be more of a celebratory protest than an insurrection. And you flip it around intentionally. You kill one of the protesters and then claim that she was a threat. She was on the other side of a locked glass door and she wasn't pounding on anything. She was trying to actually uh, calm people down on her side of the glass. You call her an insurrectionist. You claim five po uh, Capitol Police died and none died as a result of the, uh, quote, protest slash insurrection. And now we have, we have a situation where you're going after one of the most respected leaders uh, our country has ever had, whether you like his hair or you like his uh, ego uh, or not. Uh, you don't have to like him, but you have to admit that he has a massive following and he was incredibly successful. And now you're going after him. You don't think the masses out there who support him are, are watching and getting a little fed up? Oh, and uh, another thing is... Give, I'm I think sorry. I just lit the fuse on a powder keg. I, I, I apologize, Bill, but <laughs> no, one, 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 one other thing, you know, <laughs> you're, you're shoving stuff down our throat that we don't want as a society. I mean, you know, you're trying to make uh, abnormal normal. You're trying to tell us that lifestyles 
that have been rejected by our society for centuries, well, it's, it's the way it should be right now. I mean, big companies like Anheuser-Busch will stick uh, a transgender on their can. You know, if I were a woman, I would never drink Bud Light again. Even if it was your, my beer of choice, I would, mm-hmm. uh, I would never drink it again because they've slapped me and my gender in the face. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's not, this is not a wonderful thing. This is saying to half the population, up yours. I'm sorry, Bill. I I, I could no, go no, on no, and no, on. No, 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 no. I'm just I, sitting I there going. I I I I, I lit the fuse yeah, on the powder keg, and that's good because, you know, I and I do want to go back and say, you know, for those of us that were recruited, your family was the military, and they made sure that you knew that. Now, but they did use you, but that is not something that you did you know, uh, knowingly, and that's not something I did. And, um, but your service has to be commended and you, you did the right thing from the decisions that you made and you should be proud of what you did, but you were manipulated by a government that does nothing but manipulate its people. And they keep building that manipulation on and on and on and on. What you're saying is that we haven't been told the truth. For decades, Ever. for decades, and um, the government has—I'm sure they've—they've they've held it from us for quote uh, sensitive reasons, for security reasons. We can't be totally open with the people. You know, we have to sell them on this, but don't tell them about that. You know, don't tell them that we need to get in here for this reason. We've got to get—we've got to get them sold on the idea of going to war. For example. Mm-hmm. The buildings came down in 2001 in New York, and within a day or two, George Bush was off to New York with a megaphone up on, a, on one of the— A bullhorn, yeah. Down. And he was up there, you know, telling everybody, we're going to get them. We, we know who did this, and we're going to get them. And then within a short time, we were bombing the living daylights out of Iraq, and, and he was making—he was tying the two together as if they were connected, and they really weren't connected— they were not. There was no definite connection, but it was an excuse for uh, his administration to take us into a war. And they told us that there were weapons of mass destruction. They told us that uh, it was important that we go in there to get those weapons of mass destruction. And then there weren't any. And then you know they didn't even talk about. It. They didn't apologize. They didn't say, "Oops, we made a mistake here. Sorry about that. We're getting out." They kept going, bombed the living daylights out of it. It became a, a, a long-running, ongoing uh, fiasco. And what did we get you from know. it? You know, by, by the way, Bush didn't even get the oil. Remember that? He was saying, yeah. we're going to go in there. We're not going to take the oil. At least, at least President Trump said, if we go to war, we're going we're gonna to take the oil. But uh, it's one of, those, one of those days, friends, where um, it's toward the end of the week, and a lot of things have happened. It's been a busy news week. And when you do this kind of a show, Bill will tell you, you don't stop thinking about it when the microphone. Oh, you is wake not. up in the middle of the night and yeah, something comes to mind, or you have something that we did. You know, you might be having a normal dream. You're out working on a car with your buddy, and then somebody comes up in the dream, and all of a sudden, a piece of this reality slips into the dream, 
and then all of a sudden you wake up. Yeah, you can't get away from it. Yeah, you can't escape no. it. And it does cause anxiety and everything like that. And, you know, that does lead to a topic that, um, because we could go on and on with this, and there's so much more to talk about, but have you noticed a lot of people are coughing these days? You yeah, know? I, I've little, been doing little it. viruses here and there, and it's like, what is all this about, you know? And uh, I go in, uh, been going in regularly, you know, for another thing that's, you know, I'm in great shape, don't worry. But, you know, and I go, hey, I got this cough. Yeah, it's going around. Don't know what it is, but I'll tell you what, your, you know, your vitals are all right on. I'm going, okay, well, you know, as long as we're good, I just don't want to walk out, see a doc, and then go, you know. Yeah. I, you know, I have long-term plans. Not that the world's a great place. Yeah, but, but the only thing is, you know what they say? Want to make God smile? Want to make God laugh? Tell them your long-term plans. <laughs> Please. Oh, yeah. No, no, yeah, no, 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 no. I'm not going to do that because he would laugh at me a lot, you know. <laughs> but I'm doing a lot more praying for friends and things these days. Because, oh, I know. Uh, uh, but I, I wonder if there's something up. You know, you got Fauci that's out there, you know, touting that there's possibly another pandemic around the corner well, might be in the spring of well, next year or listen to him say it himself listen given as you heard from the introduction that i have been around for a while and have had the opportunity and and the privilege and the pleasure of serving in five administrations um i thought i would bring that perspective to the topic today is the issue of pandemic uh, preparedness and if there's one message that i want to leave with you today based on my experience and you'll see that in a moment is that there is no question that there will be a challenge the coming administration in the arena of infectious diseases both chronic infectious diseases in the sense of already ongoing disease and we have certainly a large burden of that but also there will be a surprise outbreak and i hope by the end of my relatively short presentation you will understand why history the history of the last 32 years that i've been the director of niaid will tell the next administration that there's no doubt in anyone's mind that they will be faced with the challenges that their predecessors were faced with now i got to tell you friends i've been in this world for several decades many many decades actually more than I'd like to admit to. And in my life, I only had one pandemic that I had to deal with. That was in right. 2019. And now he's talking about another one popping around the corner, maybe next year. Did he introduce himself as who he really is? Who? In the no. form of a stone song? You know, I've been around for oh, a while. Please, please allow introduce. me to introduce myself. <laughs> yeah, no. I'm a man of wealth and yeah, yeah. yeah. I got to tell you though, if you see the please to meet you, hope you guessed my, my name. name. If you see the video of him, uh, you know he's in his 80s, and pleased to meet you. He looks in the video to be about 50. He looks younger in this video, mm -hmm. and it was a an interview that was just done a little while ago, and. He looks like he's had an incredible amount of work. His skin is tight. It doesn't even look like the Anthony Fauci we've seen in the past where you could see his age in his face. And I'm thinking, what is going on? And he gets up there, and he's, he's telling us that we're going to have another pandemic. Don't, don't get too comfortable. And when's it going to be, folks? Why? You know when that election is coming along in a year or so, a year and a half or so? Right around that time. So they can have mail-in ballots and drop boxes and all those wonderful things. 
All yeah. those oh, speaking of uh, things have rigged, well, I think we talked about it the other day where there was a candidate uh, that was thrown in at the last minute, and then they had the well, didn't they have the uh, machines that were all kind of crazy? But all, oh, yeah, the, up the, in Wisconsin, the uh, the in Green Bay, where the uh, uh, machines kept breaking over and over and over again. <laughs> Three times yeah. they broke. Yeah, and then uh, the 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 candidate, the uh, you know, that probably should have never won. Right, won by this overwhelming number of like seventy or seventy-seven percent. They're going, yeah. Oh, these are just like the elections in, uh, you know, like in Venezuela or something like that. You know, I'm sitting there going, yeah, but we're the United States. Well, we're third world. Nobody will question them. Look what happened in 2020. Everybody out in in in, uh, Middle America said, "Oh, this is not right." They'll have to look into these elections and 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 correct the problem, and nobody did, nobody did, and and now they're you know that's why I, I look at President Trump and I still have the greatest amount of respect for the man and and I don't by the way he's not a saint, he's not a saint. Mm-hmm. I, I I I didn't vote for a saint. I didn't vote for somebody who was perfect. I didn't vote for a pastor to be my president. I voted for Donald Trump, the man. The businessman, the intelligent man, the guy who made all these promises that I thought were were good for our country, and he, and, and with all of the nonsense they threw at him, he still did a great job. But um, I, I think that I think in twenty twenty four he's going to have the same problem all over again. I think he's going to run into the same system that that I think cheated in twenty twenty, because nothing's been fixed. Absolutely, nothing's been fixed. Absolutely. Though. You know, and they're after him, too, in this case, which is a BS case. Everybody knows it, and it may get thrown out, but they're they're getting other things ready to go after him. Uh, but he's going, you know what, I retain, uh, I retain the rights to my name and the intellectual property rights of what's going on here. And Judge goes, oh, you want to profit from this. Well, Judge, if you got the opportunity, you probably got a book in the, uh, in the works right now Stormy Daniels is now doing, now this is interesting. She's doing testimony now describing of how Donald Trump, when they got together, removed her clothing on that night. Wait a minute. Isn't there sworn documents by her that uh, nothing ever happened? Yes. Ever. There's nothing there. Right. So... Are you lying, or is this? Yeah, we, are you lying? You then have a movie deal going on. Yeah. let's take a look at what's really going because yeah. something tells me, you know, you're getting paid for this. You've lost this story and this trial. You know, you, you've fought this trial before and lost in every occasion, and now you've got a, an audience that wants to hear it for political gain. So who's paying you? Yeah, Stormy, Stormy? Were you, Stormy, were you lying then or are you lying now? We know you're a liar. Okay? Are you receiving a check? Yeah. Well, she. Already, uh, I'm asking a, a serious question. Well, she already got a check. She got $130,000 from Michael Cohen. For and by the way, mm, that's that was not what I'm asking. Wait, about wait, wait. Now. That was for a non-disclosure agreement. She agreed to a non-disclosure agreement. There was no time limit on it, and all that she's talking about now is breaking that agreement. She has broken that non-disclosure by going on these interview programs. And the money she was ordered to pay were because she lost her case is 
the tax, or not the tax, but the attorney fees right. that Trump had to pay. And actually, they're more than $122,000. There's some $600,000. But aside all of that, all right, Stormy, you do things for money because well, that's the kind of lady you are. You know, you perform for money. It's your art to screw the public. So are you screwing the public at the behest of the DA's office? And what are they paying you for that screw job? You know that are you uh, getting money that comes from taxpayer dollars? You know, in in uh, the, this case, Bragg said uh, in the thirty four charges that he was bringing these charges because that they were for actions that took place to hide another crime, and people kept saying, "Well, wait a second, what's the crime that he's trying to hide? You're saying he committed a crime to hide a crime." What crime is it that he's, he's uh, trying to hide? I want you to hear how Bragg uh, answers uh, this question. Listen carefully. Let me, let me say as an initial matter that the indictment doesn't specify that because the law does not so require. Uh, in my remarks, I mentioned a couple of laws, which I will highlight uh, again now. Uh, the, the, the first is New York State election law, which makes it a crime uh, to conspire to promote a candidacy by unlawful means. I further indicated a, a number of unlawful means, including more additional false statements, including statements that were planned to be made to tax authorities. I also noted the federal election law cap on contribution uh, limits. But why weren't there those crimes charged? Why weren't charged with those crimes? Well, we, we I'm not going to go into our deliberate process on what was brought, the charges that were brought were the ones that were brought. The evidence in the law uh, is, is the basis for those decisions. I got to tell you something. If you see the video of him saying this, you can see him with his eyes wide open when he's trying to figure out the answer and he's trying to think of something to say because he really doesn't have an answer. He mentioned the federal election laws. A key member of the Federal Election Commission today rejected the Manhattan District Attorney's indictment of former President Donald Trump as a violation of federal election laws. It's not a campaign finance violation. It's not a reporting violation of any kind, said FEC Commissioner James E. Trainer, In, in uh, trying to stretch the law to make it look like a violation, he added District Attorney Alvin Bragg, quote, is really trying to make a square peg fit into a round hole, end quote. You know, you can tell when somebody's lying. They give away body language. It's part of linguistics. Now, I really haven't paid attention because I can't stand watching the guy. But generally speaking, you know, you kind of do an opposite thing, whether you're left or right oriented. And it's how w which way you look. In other words, when you pause and think, you look a certain way. That look, depending on your orientation, whether it's left or right, is signaling you're telling the truth or you are telling a whopper. And uh, I bet you if I sat there and watched the video intently, and I may do that later, to sit there and get his orientation down, then I can sit there and go, that's a lie. That's a lie. That's a lie. Yeah. That's a lie. You've done nothing but lie. Now, is that admissible in court? Absolutely not. But neither is what he's got. So, yeah, there are people actually who make careers out of judging people's body language. Yeah. And, and, and you're right. You can see it. I mean, you can see it, obviously, in this video, Bill. 
He's uh, he, there are people that know how to dodge it, but I, you know, he is dumb. But he's not. He dodging. is not a smart fella. He really, he, he really is a dumb attorney. Yes. <laughs> you know, I don't know how to say it. He could. People say, well, he went to Harvard. I don't care. I don't care. He went to Harvard. That's wonderful. But it doesn't mean that he's brilliant. I know you a talk lot. to any college student, maybe your kid. Hey, hey congratulations uh, for acing your exam. Oh, yeah, yeah. Did you study for that? Well, you know, I was able to take it online. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, I had my notepad down on my knee, and I was able to pull up all the answers. And I, I, I bagged a couple of questions so that it didn't look like I was cheating. We don't want them to think that. And, you know, that is really, and there are, there are professors that go, I'm going to give you the answers to the test because the college already made its money from your tuition. So what, what we're producing are paid idiots <laughs> that come out of these major universities. You I know, whether I, you're small or big, it's paid idiots. You ask you know, cheat. It, 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 some kids come out and and they are better for it, but a lot of them like work. a lot of them like you say, they've gotten good at uh, memorizing answers to questions uh, on a short term basis. I mean, I know kids who were they had great grades because they could study, go in, take the test, remember the the answers to the questions, get a good test. And leave, but then if you went out and talked to them a month or so later and asked them about the subject of the test they took a month earlier, they wouldn't be uh, so or, smart. Uh, what do you ask me? Yeah. I, never, I never heard that before. Yeah, exactly. You know that yeah. a lot of a lot of kids are like that. They learn how to take tests, but they don't learn. Well, and, what happened to the old-fashioned way of doing something? You apprenticed. Oh, that is a dying art. That's how, by the way, people say, how did you get into broadcasting? Well, back in the 60s, you could apprentice, which is essentially what, what I, I did. did. Yeah. I did it in the 70s. I, I apprenticed. I used to hang around radio stations when I was a teenager. And one, one day, a guy wasn't feeling well, and I went on the air, and I got it, I got it done. Hey, I, I, I went to work one day, and you know, I was you know starting out, and... You know, I was apprenticing and I was going, well, I got a date after my, you know, after my shift today, you know, going to go in, do my work, whatever they got for me to do. And then I'll do this little shift that I had. And then, you know, I'm going to be off on my date. So I was all dressed up, perfumed up and everything like that. And I came in and the guy that was my boss kind of looked at me and he goes, yeah, you wore the wrong clothes today. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, here's what I got you to do. Uh, we don't really have anything, you know, else to do. I want you to go out to, you know, the storage building. There's a bunch of boxes there. It's going to probably take you a couple of hours to get the dolly and move all of those from that building into the new building down the hall and into storage. So it was just kind of a sweaty, you know, go outside in the sweltering heat. Yeah, a grunt. Really dumb. So I did. I just said, I got to hop to this, and I did that. And then I went into the restroom real quick, and I said, before I'm too skanky so i don't have to run home i'll do the horse bath you know horse bath is you go in there and use paper towels we call that we call that a a uh not we don't use that term we call it a um uh, my dad used to have a term for it It was it was a gentler term sponge bath 
Sponge bath. Sponge bath. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I took a horse bath. Yeah. Anyway, so- <laughs> Go ahead. And then I went to go see my boss, and I said, well, hey, I got it all done. He looked, and he goes, wow, that's pretty good. Uh, well, okay, I'll tell you what you got to do. I was going to save it for tomorrow, but you can do it now. Uh, it turns out that, uh, you know, the manager said, we don't want all those boxes in there. He wants to leave them out in the shed out back. Well, now it's the heat of the freaking day. So I'm looking at him like, real, you know, so yeah, I did it. And then I did my thing, stinky and sweaty. And then I sat there and, you know, I went home, showered, changed, and I was about, uh, you know, 15 minutes late for the date. And, you know, then you don't, you don't really care about me because you didn't show up on time. And I'm like, oh, geez. This trip down memory lane has been brought to you by Bill Knight. But, yeah, you know, but that's apprenticing, you know. You're doing what you got to do, you know, and you're doing the grunt work so you can get the, you know, you go in the next day, they're going, okay, you know, you're going to work on this and you're going to learn this. And, you know, know, a lot of the greatest uh, talent in our business started just that way. They started as uh, gophers. You'd em- yeah, you'd, yeah, you'd, you'd empty trash cans. You'd, you know, the broadcasting the grass. schools. Broadcasting schools didn't come along till a little later on, and by that time, a lot of the guys who were apprentice who who apprenticed the jobs and became broadcasters were the teachers in the broadcasting schools. Yeah, it was a. I mean, I say that because I did some teaching in a broadcasting. Well, I've done school. it too. Yeah, I used to do that too on the side. It was a quick. I paid for a couple of you know, vacations that way. You know, they, they contacted me. Will you do this? Yeah, you, I can do that. You know, um, I didn't make people move trash or anything like that. But <laughs> we, We've had an interesting career, but the fact of the matter is a lot of kids today would be better off uh, in in the world that they're living in by apprenticing their jobs. You know, we talked about apprenticing back in the 20s. You could get out of high school and you could apprentice for five years in a law office and become a lawyer. You didn't have to go to college. Back in the teens and the 20s, I'm talking about 1910, 1920, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, you know, a lot of people make fun of unions, all right? But a lot of these union jobs, and yes, it became a thing to where, you know, hey, I, I got a cousin that needs a job. You know, well, your recommendation gets him in. All right, we'll bring him in as broom sweep, and then he can learn to go uh, he can go learn to work the boiler or go, you know, the, the, the Coke machine, what, whatever it is, you know, if you're working at a steel mill, whatever it is, you would apprentice, you know, that, that wasn't a college job. That was a job you learned hands-on. Well, uh, back to the business at hand. Uh, All right, we're, yeah, we're, the, yeah, there's a lot of news. A lot of people on, but... will tell you that we're living in the country right now, which is stumbling uh, quicker and quicker towards uh, socialism. Uh, Rebecca Koffler, who grew up in the Soviet Union, doesn't recognize our country now. Uh, Communist actors are destroying the country under the Biden regime, and the country is in real danger. She was on, she was on Steve Bannon's show, uh, War mm-hmm. Room, talking about uh, the ominous direction that our country is, is is going in. And here's what she had to say: Listen, you talk about show trials. I asked Rebecca Koffler. She's got an amazing piece up right now about Putin. Uh, Rebecca, in the in Moscow. 
Moscow in the 1930s, they had these type of trials, where they had these show trials. This is what this is in New York City. It's nothing but a show trial. This is all politics. It has nothing to do with the law. This is the. This is what happens when you have the takeover of a part of the judiciary system by radical Marxists like George Soros. Rebecca Koffler, why, why does this remind you of, of the worst of the, uh, of, of the Bolsheviks and the Soviet Union? And it reminds you of what Putin and the KGB can do, ma'am. I'm terrified, uh, Steve. I, I'm an immigrant from Soviet Russia. As uh, you know, I lived under the totalitarian regime, and now I do not recognize our country. Uh, basically, uh, whoever is driving this turmoil, uh, they're trying to destabilize America, and they're trying to kick out um, President Trump out of the 2024 campaign. This is exactly what uh, Putin does. This is classic Putin's uh, playbook. Uh, what he did with his opponent, Alexei Navalny, for example, um, who exposed corruption in Putin's government, he threw him in jail. And right now he is rotting in a, in a Russian prison. Uh, I see all of the hallmarks of uh, totalitarianism uh, creeping in into our country under Joe Biden's presence. And uh, I know it's probably hard for Americans to uh, imagine that America, the land of freedom, could even become one day, you know, a totalitarian state. But look at it this way. Uh, these American Bolsheviks, they've locked us down during COVID, right? We were not allowed to go uh, do our jobs. Kids were not allowed to do um, to go to school. They forced us with this uh, so-called vaccine that was basically an experimental drug. They're now having January 6th, you know, uh, protesters, the, the, the people who simply, you know, are political prisoners, they have them in, in gulags. You know, we have censorship. They're after religious people, right? They're trying to disarm Americans. Is it not reminding you of uh, what exactly happened, you know, back in during the Soviet times in Russia or, you know, in fascist Germany. I am literally terrified, uh, Steve, because I came here for freedom. My children are here and there's really nowhere to go. America is still the best country in the world and we must fight to make America free again and normal again. We cannot let these Bolsheviks uh, destroy the country uh, and remove President Trump from Russia in 2024. Now, there's a lady who grew up in the Soviet Union under, right. under uh, you know, uh, Gorbachev and his predecessors, and she knows about uh, totalitarianism, and she sees Firsthand. she sees it in our country, and 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 it's it's got her very concerned. And you may say, well, "What are you what are you talking about? We're we're the United States. We we don't do that." But stop for a second and look around. In the past two and a half years, tell me one thing that this administration has done to benefit the people of the United States. One thing. I mean, you heard Kirby uh, telling everybody how wonderful the Afghanistan uh, withdrawal was. And you and I, we, we lived through it. We saw it. There was no hiding it. It was an embarrassment. It was a terrible embarrassment. It was the worst. Yeah, it was worst withdrawal uh, 
in, in our history. In our history, this was the worst withdrawal. And, um, you know, he's trying to, what are you, he's trying to sell us a, a car that won't run, you know? Well, yeah, she brings up two thoughts of mind uh, because of one thing she said about religion. And, uh, and then I'm looking at the January 6th thing, uh, a piece of news story. Apparently, the January 6th uh, committee, uh, uh, they have, uh, well, they got missing text from uh, the uh, Secret Service, mm-hmm. uh, which is interesting. From January 6th, they have missing text. You know, why are they missing? What, what else are they missing from that case? Well, we could go on and on and on, but... You know the the case is that thing is a big well. You know, I mean, lie. Do you honestly think that the FBI didn't have operatives in the crowd, instigators in the crowd? They, yeah, and you can't get those texts of them communicating back and forth. You know who who are they trying to kid? I mean, look at the January sixth committee that we just saw a couple of months ago. How right. we were being told that it was being honest and it was being forthright and it was digging deep into the facts. And anybody who watched one hour, no, one minute of that, of that committee hearing w- could see that it was, it was a sham. It mm-hmm. was a lie. Yeah, it was. Now, she mentioned the church, you know, and everyone's talking about, yeah, the, you know, there's an attack on the church, but they don't want to be so obvious. And somebody sent me somebody's little, I guess, made an email and sent it out to friends. Mm -hmm. And I'm going like, well, I really haven't gone and looked at everything. But um, his question was, do you know what the Bible Belt is? Yeah. Well, you do. Yeah. And I do. Some people will go, I don't know what the Bible Belt is. But basically, you know, it's an area of the country where you have people that are morally and and Christian bound. And these people, the salt of the earth, the salt of the earth. Now these people, Mm -hmm. they're self-sufficient. They can, you know, like the old uh, country boy can't survive song. You know, I, uh, you know, I can run a trot line and all of that stuff, but they can survive and live off the land. They can make means for themselves. They, anything that they want to do, they don't need the government. They right. don't need your help or anybody's help. They just can do it. Yeah. And it's a big part of the United States. It's, and it's the guys God, God, country, and apple pie. They love God. They love their country. And they make the best darn apple pie. You know what yep. I'm saying? Well, maybe, but not, not, maybe not anymore. This guy's observation, and I'm going on the surface, I'm going, well, that kind of makes sense. Going back to these railroad accidents. They circle the Bible Belt. Well, do you put anything past uh, the deep state? Do you put anything past? I mean, people may say, oh, there he goes. Deep state. I'm not even suggesting or saying that. I'm saying it. I'm saying it. I think there is a deep state. Oh, yeah, I do, too. It exists. You're saying what is it? Is it a deliberate attack? On the church, or is it a signal? You better get in line or look what these terrible things could do to you. Mm. Terrible, terrible, terrible. And the left will go out there, that's just stupid. Well, imagine it circles your neighborhood. 
all the bad stuff. Would that get the cockles in the back of your neck to stand up? <clears throat> it doesn't. Yeah, well. Uh, I, uh, it's an observation. But, you know, she meant, you know, you have to attack the church if you're going to attach, attack anything about the United States and our freedom and our rights. Well, we're becoming a more secular country now. They're, they're making it uh, harder to, uh, I mean, look at, look at young kids. Uh, young kids are less religious than their parents were for the most part. Uh, it, 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 the media has encouraged uh, this this secular kind of attitude. Uh, it has promoted this attitude. Uh, rock and roll music. I mean, when I was a kid, you got dressed on Sunday, you went to church. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know whether a lot of young kids today uh, whether that's a requirement anymore. Do you know? What do you think? Well, I remember I had my my Sunday church shoes. And I had my Sunday outfit, you know, or a couple of pairs of slacks that I'd rotate and whatnot. And you you dress good for church. If you went on Sunday night, yeah, you could wear your jeans a little easier. And Wednesday, you know, we went to every service there was. My mom made sure. Uh, but we did that. Now, down the road, you know, preachers loosened up a little bit going, hey, you know what? We don't care what you wear. You don't have to dress up. It's not a fashion show. Just come to church. And which I think was a smart thing to do. But now, you know, that has turned to where people just don't go to church again. And uh, except, you know, a lot of churches have folded because, you know, no one goes to them. So they can't stay open. The preacher has to move on or get a real job. Not that that wasn't a real job, you know, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. You know, we might say we're a Christian nation, well, we really don't act like it. You know what's sad? I, I've always found, and I think a lot of people who have who have a faith, and we don't always have to have the same faith, by the way. You can have whatever faith you believe in, whatever you're comfortable believing in. But people who have a faith uh, seem to be able to navigate life a little easier because they, they don't feel like they're totally alone in the, in the quietest mm-hmm. and, and the most... Uh, in the in the darkest times, do you know what I'm saying? When I walk through difficult times, I always feel like this: God is with me. People who don't have a faith, uh, unfortunately, in my opinion, they don't have that luxury. They they, Wait, they feel more isolated. If you know what I mean. When somebody goes through their life going, I don't believe in God. That's all a bunch of hooey. What is the last name that they call out before oh, yeah. they die? God. You know, yeah. and so whether, you know, you want to believe the old mustard seed, uh, just that much belief that, well, it's possible. It's really all you need to get, you know, get things rolling. But I can tell you this, if you are hitting hard times and, you know, you might not be, you know, a good Christian, however you measure that. And I don't like to say that anybody's good or anybody's bad, you know, but either way. You're going, man, I've hit the bottom. What can I do? The thought comes to your mind, maybe I'm just going to say a prayer. You know, and no matter what, nothing changed from the beginning of that prayer to the end of that prayer, except one thing. You have a sense of, I talked to somebody about it that can do something about it, and I feel better now. Yeah. 
That's true. And, that's and very, you can very go to true. sleep at least going with that bit of comfort, you know, because sometimes you got to let go of things and just, you know. You know, it's interesting, Bill. Today is Good Good Friday, and it, it hasn't been intentional, but we started off talking about God, and we worked our way back to talking about God, and maybe there's a reason for it. Um, folks, I hope you have a blessed Good Friday. Remember the day and what what it means. And I hope you have a, if we don't talk to you, uh, if, we, if you for some reason are with your family and don't get a chance to listen to the update on the weekend, we hope that you have a blessed Easter. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll do it again on Monday. And we'll have, I'm sure, a lot of things to talk about. Um, and uh, just enjoy being with the people that you love this weekend. Spend time with the family and... You know, I, I do ask you to share the show. I do think that uh, I don't like to grade our shows, but I, you know, I thought today was kind of a cool special show. We talked about a lot of different things. Yeah, yeah, we and, did. And uh, uh, I know you have a list, and you have a list of audio. I have a list of topics, and somehow we don't sit there and go, "Okay, this goes with that." We just kind of let them. It's a conversation between two guys, folks. I mean, we we have some you know, basic subjects we're supposed to bounce around, but. Sometimes we get uh, off in a different tangent, and sometimes it's a better tangent than the show we planned. <laughs> yeah, I, I used to call this LRS. It's the law of random sync, you know, because somehow these topics usually tie together. And you know, when we're talking or you hear something, oh wait a minute, I you know I was I was yeah. thinking about that, and and there you go, and boom, uh, that's how it works. So if somebody goes. What's the formula? The formula it's, is Bill Knight and Jim Harrington, and yeah, and yeah. and you listening. And, yeah. and, and trust me, I I I don't know how you feel when you do the show, Bill. But many times when I'm doing the show, I feel like there's three of us here: you, oh yeah, me, and the listener. And the listener's yeah. as real as you and me. Do you know? I thought you were going to say God. <laughs> oh. Well, I always feel. Well, then there's four. Well, wait okay. a second. There's four. God forgive me. He's he's. Uh, I think that by the way, people say you must be doing really well because you have thousands of people listening now all over the world. Actually, we have had millions of people listening all over the world, but that's for another uh, another show. Hey, you know what? But, I can tell you this. There but the thing is, somebody- we make nothing for doing this. We make nothing for doing this show right now. I mean, down the road, who knows what will happen. It's not to say that we wouldn't accept something, but the fact of the matter is we do it because God has been good to us. God has been good to Bill and me. We've had great careers. And, you know, when you get older, I can't run anymore. I can't do the uh, five-yard, five-mile dash or whatever they do. You know, I can't do the things I used to do, but my mouth still works and my brain works too and we still can add something to the conversation and, and that's what we do this for we do it so sure. that we can we can help uh, you know help our country by talking a little bit and trying to explain to those who need to uh, who don't hear the whole story all the time you know well the way you got to look at it even if you only had five listeners 10 listeners mm-hmm. if they come back and they come back and they come back those are people that want and need your show want and need what you have to say. Yeah. You got a thousand listeners. Those are a thousand people. 
that want and need what you have to say. You got a million people. It's a million people that want and need what you have to say. We're and not if, talking about Hollywood. And if cares. each one of those million people would uh, kindly send us one dollar. <laughs> uh, see, now you had to go. I'm sorry. With the money. I'm sorry. I didn't know why that came out. That the devil made me do it. Anyway, friends, have a wonderful Easter weekend, and uh, we'll be back for an update tomorrow. And yeah. uh, it'll, you know, we'll, we'll keep you up to date as to what's going on. And uh, enjoy, enjoy the, the the weekend with your family. God bless. Yeah. Have a good one. The Voice of Freedom, CRN America. These days, when you want an answer about just about anything, you ask Alexa. You ask her about the weather. You ask her who won your favorite sporting event. You ask her to find a fact that you can't find anywhere. Well, we did that too. We asked her how many people have downloaded itsanotherday.com. And this is what she said. From acceleration.com. It has been downloaded as much as 260,433,467 times. I know. Seems like a lot. Seems like a lot to us, too. But it's Alexa. Thanks for making us a part of your day. And tell your friends about itsanotherday.com. We could use an extra listener. I mean, what do you do when you only have 260 million? <laughs>